Thanks for joining us for the Bread of Life, a ministry of the Bread of Life Fellowship in Boise. To contact us, call us at 208-331-4096. That number again is 208-331-4096. Now here's Joel Van Hoogen. Hebrews 11:32 through 40 sums up a great chapter considering the Hall of Fame of Faith. Out of our study in this passage, we have come up with a simple definition for faith. Faith is believing and trusting in something or someone for a desired future outcome. Believing in the present for some future benefit based upon past information. That's faith. As such, we took note that faith is a most common of things. All of us live each day placing faith in things or in people. You can't get out of bed without some element and expression of faith. You can't lie yourself down to rest at the end of the day without some expression of faith. All of us live placing our faith in some things and in people. At the end of our message last week, what we noted is another idea, another expression of this faith is that faith is always a wager or a bet that you take on some hope for outcome. And we also talked about the fact that when your wager is significant, when you're betting upon something that has profound ramifications for your future, when your wager is a wager which you put all of yourself down upon it and you risk everything, including your eternity on it, you better be sure. You better have relative confidence or significant confidence in the thing that you're betting in. The faith is always, in this sense, a bit of a wager. And these individuals that we just talked about, Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, these individuals place their faith in God. They place their faith in God, if you know their stories, against great odds. And in this expression of faith, they assume tremendous risk. But they did so believing that God was more than equal to the risk that they took. And it wasn't that they took these risks because they were risk takers. These are not people who today would be, you know, free climbing El Capitan in Yosemite Park. These are not the kinds of individuals that would be skydivers or whatever it is. You know, recently I saw some guy who they had some net that they'd put out, this huge net, and he dove without a parachute and skydived and found his way down into this massive net. That's someone who just likes taking risk. Somehow he just likes the experience of the adrenaline and that's important to him. It's not to me. I get my adrenaline in a much less, much easier situations. I don't need to jump out of a plane without a parachute on my back. And, and these men are not risk takers. That's not why they're doing it. The risk that they're taking was an expression that they were looking for some charge in their experience. It was more like this. They were weak. They found themselves in a desperate situation. And in their desperation, they laid hold of God as their final hope. And they threw all themselves down upon him. This is another thing about faith. It's another thing, this desperation, this weakness in these individuals. It helps us see another aspect of faith and understand it. And it's this, that faith always rises out of a basic weakness on our part. Faith rises at the point where we have to, in a sense, go outside of ourselves. It's a very human thing to live by faith Because as humans, we're weak. We're dependent creatures. We're not self-sustaining forces. 
Only God is a self-sustaining force. God doesn't have to live by faith, you see. He's everything within himself. Again, this reveals the odd thing about people who are proud and arrogant. Have you ever bumped into anybody who's ever said, I have, I don't believe in anybody or anything but myself? You know what, I have my faith isn't in me. The odd thing about a person who says that is that they haven't really summed up or done an accurate summarization of the way their lives are lived because they don't live that way at all. They don't live their lives as if their faith is only hinging upon themselves. No, that person is deceiving themselves because on a daily basis, their life hinges upon what goes beyond them and what is beyond their control. They're a speck in a vast sea of possibilities beyond their control, and they don't seem to know it or recognize it. They don't understand that they are actually living by faith outside of themselves all the time. And this placing of their faith in themselves has a very limited scope. I mean, you can trust yourself for a few things, but only a few things. Because even those things that you're trusting yourself to produce and do are dependent upon all kinds of external situations, like your next breath. And whether you know it or not, you don't have control over that. You just have to have faith that it's going to come and it's going to happen. Faith rises out of a basic weakness in ourselves. It rises out of the fact that we are dependent persons. And this dependency, this weakness, drives us to live by faith. But our weakness can, if we're willing, drive us into the greatest power of all. That's what God has given as the potential of faith. This faith that actually has to be produced from us because we are so dependent upon everything else around us. This faith that really is not an expression of our power but of our weakness. Actually, God has laden it with the potential to lay hold of the most powerful thing of all. So that faith the size of a mustard seed can, as a result of laying hold of great power, the greatest power, Jesus said, can move a whole mountain. And that's the kind of faith that God commends to us. It's the faith of weak, dependent, frail, failing humans who in desperation and before great odds risk all they have to throw themselves, their faith, on God. Now, that is a good bet. That's a good bet. That's what God is calling us to. That's the life of faith. After mentioning the names that are before us here, And there were a number of others before it. We've gone through them. Remember, we talked about Abel and Enoch and Noah and Abraham and Sarah and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and Moses and Rahab. And now we've read of these others as well. But after listing all these names, there then comes a list of attainments that these individuals and others that are not being mentioned here achieved by faith in Hebrews 11, 33, 34, and 35a. Let me read that to you quickly. Verse 33, who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions. As you're reading it, let your mind, if you know your Bibles at all, let your mind go through and think of where these might be answered or fulfilled. Quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Women receive their dead raised to life again. These are 
accomplishments that came by faith. Let me make an observation as you have that before you and you're looking at it. Something to take into consideration as you're looking at this list of accomplishments, attainments that came by faith. And the observation here first is this. The author of Hebrews is writing to the Jewish people. He's writing to Israelites. And the Jews and their faith rose from an understanding that God acted to reveal himself in their history. And so there were key phrases and key words that actually kind of underscored these stories. And the words that the author is using here are words that are uniquely set to spring into mind the stories, the stories of history, historical events in the minds of these Jewish people and triggered their memories. And so when he says subdued kingdoms, they would have been reminded how Joshua and the people of Israel, the first Israelites, came into the promised land of Canaan and they conquered other kingdoms in order to build their own. That they came in as a nation of slaves who knew how to make bricks, not war. They came facing warlike tribes, armed and ready for the battle. And they came desperate to find a place for themselves, but weak before their foes. And yet they came putting their faith in God And they conquered. The Jews knew the stories were true because were they not now living in that promised land? Was it not theirs to possess at this very moment in which they're reading this letter? Worked righteousness. The word there actually means enacted justice. And for the Jewish people, from the time of the reign of David, all of their hopes was another king like David because he was the epitome of what their nation and their kingdom was to be all about. And the Bible tells us in 2 Samuel 8.15, and the Jews love this passage, this verse, was definitive of the reign of David. It says there that David administered justice in all of Israel. And it was kind of like a crowning statement of the kind of reign that the good messianic king would bring to Israel. And what Israel and their kingdom was to be all about was the administration of justice for all the people. By faith, it says they worked righteousness. Ah, That's what our nation is about. By faith, it says they obtained promises. And they could have thought of the promises that God gave to Abraham for a land, or the promises that God gave to Abraham, the seed of a great nation, the promises that God gave to Moses to take the people out of the bondage of Egypt, the promises that he gave to Joshua that they would go in and he would go before them and they would conquer the land. And by all accounts, these parts of God's promises had been fully kept for them. Stop the mouths of lions. They would have thought of who? Daniel. They may have thought of the stories of David as a young boy who conquered vicious lions as he was watching his sheep. That might be another account where they would have thought of them being preserved from lions. Or when it says quenched the violence of fire, they would have thought of the history of Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego who were contemporaries of Daniel and who had been put into the fiery furnace that Nebuchadnezzar had constructed because they refused to bow down before the images and the idols of the Babylonians. And yet God spared them when they were cast into that burning furnace. And if you remember the story, and what a wonderful story for us to learn as little children, that the furnace was stoked up so hot that those men that took these three to cast them into the furnace actually were consumed outside of the furnace by the heat of the flames. But these three, these three were not consumed. They didn't die. They came out from the fire without even the smell of smoke upon them. And 
that would have actually captured the imagination of every Jewish child as well. And they knew the story, and they knew it was the story of the history of their people and escaped the edge of the sword. Well, those are the exact words that were used to describe Jeremiah the prophet and how he escaped the edge of the sword and various times when people sought to, and kings and powers sought to destroy him. It actually fits the narrative of the story of Elijah. And there's actually the same story of Elisha in which they escape the edge of those who are seeking to destroy them by the sword. Let's go on. Out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in the battle, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead, raised to life again. It would be wonderful if we had time this morning to go over all these accounts and find them and read the passages of Scripture that rehearse and tell of these great events that took place in the history of the Jews, but we don't have time. And actually... It doesn't even matter right now if you don't know all of these stories yourself. Here's what you need to know. Those who were reading this letter that was written, Hebrews, those who came to this portion of Scripture here in Hebrews chapter 11, and they read of these different phrases and these different words, these phrases referred them to real, actual, historical events that made up their understanding of the forming of their nation and that were quite central to their identity as Jews. They didn't read them as mythology. They read them as their history. This happened. This was real. This took place. These phrases refer to the past information, which in the present helped them to place their faith in the God of Israel for all their future hopes. These are the stories. Thanks for joining us today at The Bread of Life, a ministry of the Bread of Life Fellowship of Boise, Idaho. Our focus is to know Christ in every arena of life and to make Him known in those same places. For a copy of today's message, you can call us at 208-331-4096 or you can go to our website at breadoflifeboise.org to learn more. Until the next time, may God bless you.